Welcome to the Dune Saga Podcast special event screening of Dune by David Lynch. I'm David Moulton. And I'm Scott Herzog. And we're here with our some of our audience that stayed behind. And we're going to talk about this movie. So, guys, the 80s was a thing. And it, and it happened. It certainly was. And we just witnessed it <laughs> right in front of us. Man. What do you think of this film? Folly within folly within folly. <laughs> What I kept thinking of, of was like a tape that got too close to a magnet. We'll stick in the, we'll stick in the decade. That, that, right. That happened. Or like someone who tried to write a cover song of something that they only heard once. And it starts off kind of like beat for beat, right where it should be. And then all of a sudden it just starts to go off track a little bit. And then they miss like the chorus. So it speeds up, and then it's just, you don't even know what's going on anymore. <laughs> it just gets a little crazy. How, how, this is, how many times have you seen this film, Scott? Second time. Second time. I watched it, um, I think it's about two months ago, remember? I, yeah. I, I did it, uh, and that was the first time I'd watched it. I may have seen Elements, but when it came out, I didn't watch it. Right. You were on the treadmill. I was on the treadmill watching, and actually I caught more this time because I wasn't actually running and watching it at the same time. I thought time, maybe so. you were trying to run away. <laughs> yeah, well, I, <laughs> maybe I should have. You know, interesting, I read it, I watched it prior to reading Dune right. again, and then when I watched it this time, I realized how much this movie absolutely missed. Yeah. Um, at the same time, I looked at it and said, well, in two hours and, what, 20 minutes, how, mu- how much can you really hit in a novel as deep as Dune. I mean, you look at even the miniseries and see how much that missed. And yeah. I thought, I thought, personally, I thought the miniseries hit it a little bit closer to home than maybe the movie did here. But um, there's certainly there's certainly differences here. So. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you on that one. It's so weird because at the beginning, it's so point for point the book to the point where it's too much. But then somewhere along the lines, they're just like, oh yeah. The, saying the weirding way is a fighting style isn't enough. We have to actually have devices that make guns out of your your voices. Yeah, that wasn't in the book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it wasn't. In the, yeah, it just, yeah, crazy, yeah. crazy. What? What's like a significant thing in this film that sticks out as like the one moment where you said, "I'm done." I have to tell you, I saw this back in the 80s, and I couldn't make it to the end, because we couldn't figure out what was going on. One of the reasons we watched it was because the actors in it, we figured it had to be good, I mean, it had some great actors in it, and I was watching it with my husband, and we were both putting up with it for the other and then it got to the point where we said, I can't do this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love man. you, honey, but I'll see you in an hour. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, without having read the book, this would maybe make a sneak preview to give people a hint that maybe they want to go see it to find out what is going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not... There's no real smooth thread through it. it uh, and I was I was wondering the same thing. I think something coming, someone coming in to this movie without being familiar with the Dune franchise at all, 
uh, it had to be a very difficult pill to swallow. Um, I have heard conversely to people that went and read the book because they have because they watched the movie and they didn't really understand what was going on, and it forced them to go back to the book. And that's not a negative side effect, as far as I'm concerned. No, no. Again, I mean, Jim's one of those people, right? Yeah, and, yeah. and so I think that there are, are the co the other co-hosts to the show uh, said that's the way he kind of encountered it. Um, but I, I'm willing to bet that. Some people steered clear of Dune, period, because <laughs> right, after, watching, yeah. after watching this uh, and having this encounter with it. Yeah. I, it was so slow. I mean, they, the face shots and the... It just... It makes you wonder. The book was, was good, you know, and this... Was, <laughs> you know, as far as the story, because... You didn't know what they were talking about half the time. I mean, you knew Spice was important, but... But why? Yeah, you know, the, the, the fighter pilots, they missed that whole thing of, of how they evolved and yeah. that kind of thing. And without that, they were just space creatures that happened to be running the ships. They were disgusting looking. Yeah, well, that was irregular. I mean, how could you describe what they did in the book? You can't. Yeah. You know, but it's um, it was it's a shame because it may have turned some people off to it. Mm-hmm. For me, I mean, I saw it on TV at some point Saturday afternoon, Sunday afternoon TV, and like I remember playing. So I was young enough to be playing while it was on and not really paying attention and still thinking it was dumb. But then... <laughs> was, it with your, was, it with, was it with your Star Wars action figures? <laughs> it, it might have been. They were probably more interesting than this movie anyway. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> but uh, it was given to me as a gift, oh man, more than 10 years ago. And I popped Someone it Someone didn't like you very much, did they? <laughs> well, they knew I liked Dune. And they were like, here, take this uh, ultimate edition of Dune. Mm. I bet you'll love it. You love Dune. And I, uh, I popped it in, and I got to... I didn't even get to the point where Paul gets tested. And I turned it off. It was like the inner monologues like put through. So didn't he know about exposition and some way to show how they were thinking that they were scared rather than have it like all of a sudden, I'm scared. There's a lot of lines that they could have had them speak. Right. They spoke those lines. They didn't yeah. have to have them think those lines. <laughs> it would have been less ridiculous yeah. to have, just have them audibly say those things. Because yeah. sometimes, especially in the beginning, like, you don't know the characters. You don't know who's talking. And yeah. all of a sudden, you hear this voice. And like, I, I don't know who said that. Like, it was a girl, I think. <laughs> Maybe it was whispered. So, yeah. I don't know. If I may add... I think I think this movie gets unfairly dismissed. Yeah. For what it's trying to do. I think in many ways, especially compared to the miniseries, I think this movie kind of captures even though it kind of fails at the letter, I feel it captures kind of the spirit of Dune better than any other media that's followed. Mm. Which if you kind of look at it instead of as a if you don't approach it like the miniseries as an adaptation, if you look at it as kind of a half blockbuster, half-art film made to the theme of Dune, I think it actually works well. And just the atmosphere, you know, the costuming, all the details, I think really is quite wonderful. So that's why that's why I don't feel it's fair to just dismiss it, because I know fans often joke about it. Yeah. But I don't know if anything that's done those elements that well. 
No, and I would agree with you, especially when you look at like the way they did the still suits. Uh, it's yeah. beautifully done. It's something a signature dude. Uh, the spirit of giving giving Arrakis back to the Fremen, um, and, and that it captures that, and this the conversion of the planet into uh, you know a planet with water again. Although it's done much more quickly and not really addressed <laughs> in Dune at all, yeah. but it's hinted at in there. But, but that is certainly the letter of, of of Frank Herbert and where he was heading with with Arrakis and the plan of like Leto Kynes and. Right. Part of kinds and all that down through. I mean, that was that, that was that was the plan, and so certainly they do capture that. Um, it is kind of odd. It always strikes me odd to see it raining at the end, uh, <laughs> only because it's like well, this wasn't in you know. But but at the same time, it does. You're right. I, I agree with you that it does carry the essence, and you certainly carry the Bene Gesserit or cap, the essence of them are captured. Mm-hmm. Uh, although I have a little bit of problem with them not acting surprised that Paul could be this character because that's obviously hinted at much more thoroughly in the book than they pretend in, the, in here. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, I'll comment on what, on what you said. That when it first started up, I, I did think, man, I bet there was nothing quite as futuristically designed as this, I don't know, movie-wise at the time when this came out. Like, Set design, costuming was all like right on par for where things were then, and kind of stretching the, probably stretching the uh, limits at that time. And you and you see that movies that followed then took, you know, certainly had influence there yeah. in that. You know, I I mean we do we, this is post Star Wars, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, so we do have. I mean, and there certainly is some of the effects that were done here were done much better in those movies. Uh, at the same time, there is a world. Uh, there is a world that that is created that Frank that they're trying to capture. That Frank Herbert's painting, yeah, a whole society which is much more developed than Star Wars ever was. As a film, how did this stand up on its own? It's not a book. I know you were saying that you thought it gets it gets knocked too much. If you were to have seen this and not known about Dune. How would you have approached this universe? Uh, I know you said that you, you just walked out. I couldn't go to the end. <laughs> yeah. But I think if you know that this is a film by the man that made Eraserhead, <laughs> I, I think you just have to look at it as, you know, it's going to be that kind of film. Whereas, yeah. you know, I think it's, I guess I can be fair. If I walked in expecting, oh, Star Wars, you know, a sci-fi space opera, wonderful, then I would be disappointed. Mm-hmm. But... True. You know, if you know the background, I feel you can actually enjoy the film for what it is. And, I mean, I'm not saying it is flawed. It, I feel it's too ambitious. It tries to do too much and too little. But I don't think I would actually consider it a good film. Right. Yeah. yeah. It was hard to follow the storyline. If you hadn't read the book, which I hadn't when I first saw it, you didn't know what was going on. There, was, there weren't enough. It didn't flow. Everything was an individual entity. If you look at it as an art film, it's excellent. You know, but as a feature film, it it just it didn't really tell the story enough of the story. Maybe that's what it is. It's um, like I said, you knew what, what spice they were after spice, but it really didn't go into the why of it and how dependent people became one. It's, you know, reminds me of drugs, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. But 
it didn't, his importance wasn't, he was important to himself, but you didn't see how important he was until the end to saving the universe. And unless you read the book, nobody will know what atomics are, yeah. you know, or what they do, or why it was such a big deal that they used it. It always comes across as that the atomics come across as a convenient way to get them through the wall. You know, yeah, the, the, yeah. Just, well, what do they call that? The, uh, the shield wall. Yeah, well, well no, the, uh, the, the convenient way when writers will put in, like, well, they, I'm stuck in this side of the wall. Let's get them across this way. And, well, let's introduce atomics. Deus Ex Machina? Yeah, you know, yeah. so it, it comes across a little bit that way without knowing that there's an entire history in right. doing of atomics. Uh, and so it comes across as kind of convenient. And I agree, the, the spice thing highly underdeveloped here. Like, you don't get the idea of people being dependent on it, um, except for the Fremen who, I, you know, their eyes are growing blue and that they obviously are kind of infused with it because of their culture. But you don't get that, that the rest, you, you realize it's important to the rest of the universe, but we don't necessarily know why. Um, you also don't get any, any real glimpse into what the powers of the Reverend Mother is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, except for that slight telepathy thing, which also isn't in the book. I mean, it, I, except for the prequels, you know, right? The sisters. Right. See, and that's the another classic. thing. Yeah. yeah. Having read the prequels made a lot more sense when I read Dune. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> it's, um, but having not read them, you would have to dig a little deeper to to follow it, kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's I like w- a Russian novel. You need your index card. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that something that this movie does, maybe a little bit better than the miniseries, even slightly, is the initial introduction of the Atreides family and characters. I feel like they spelled out who everybody was. And it's been of, a while since I've seen the miniseries. What so. their what their position is? Yeah, was the the miniseries? They explain it eventually, but it's like they rely on the audience to fill in the blanks a little bit. Which works because it's more drawn out. But this was like, okay, you know, this is who so and so. This is so and so. This is what a mentat is. Or spell out what a mentat does. You know, the whole introduction by Irulan at the beginning is very. Well, it's better than nothing. (laughs) You know, one of the things that I uh, that I caught me again. We talked about this when we read the book. Is how upfront they are. The fact that they're going to take out Lena. Yeah, you know, they they just there's no like today if they would produce this movie and uh, they would kind of the plot would unfold and and you would kind of it would be kind of surprised that that they took him out or how they were going to do it but from the the book and even the movie here very upfront with the fact that they're going to that this is a huge plot to bring down Leto Atreides right and uh, and everyone's involved the guild yeah. the 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 Harkonnens and, and Saddam Saddam yeah. yeah. Uh, well, the only thing that I noted is uh, they don't have much. Uh, they don't make much note of Saddam being involved, except for at the very beginning. Yeah. You know, if there's no like discovery of that for the Atreides, they just yeah. kind of assume. So, what um, what things didn't you see in this film that you would have wanted to have seen? Forward to the dinner party scene that they didn't have. Oh, yeah. yeah, they just cut that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But they had to cut some stuff. Right. And actually, I think they didn't cut too. I think they didn't cut enough. 
<laughs> they got more because they really rushed through the last two thirds of the book. Yeah, they spent yeah. a lot of time on on book one when the the book is broken down into three parts. Book one mm-hmm. and book two and three they just rushed through. Two is almost non-existent. Yeah, 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 yeah. I I would have preferred to have seen the depth that they put into book one in book two or three, either one. So you wanted a five-hour movie, right? Yeah. No, no. yeah. Well, I think there's a version that's like that long or something. Um, they could make a trilogy out of it. Yeah. I think the other thing I wanted to see was some, some more uh, development of the Fremen tradition. Yeah. I felt that oh, they yeah. just breezed over that, and certain things that they were doing, you were like, okay. The whole, the whole um, I mean, St- Stilgard and him seem very buddy-buddy here, and they, right. they just don't play that out in the book quite, quite the same way. That it plays on the screen. There's no contention between them. It's kind of like he hands them over with no, again, no Fremen tradition that's kind of backing it, well, fighting for leadership and so on. How quickly the Fremen accepts Paul is just crazy. Instantly. He walks <laughs> in, we will take him, but not you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's very. I, I did really like that scene where they walked around the corner and the lightning struck and you just saw the Stilgar's, like eyes. Oh, yeah. And I thought that was the coolest scene in the whole movie. <laughs> For sure. For their, sure. Their encounter of that was beautifully done. Yeah. Anyone else? Things they wanted, wanted to see in the movie? How about your top things that you think could be excluded from this movie to improve it? The actor that played Baron Hart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the, you know, the Baron just comes across just a bit over the top. There's just no doubt. He he's certainly a creep and a jerk in the book. There's no doubt about it. But yeah. he's but he's not maniacally crazy as they as, as David Lynch portrayed him. Um, I did like Fade Routh as staying or staying as Fade Routh. I guess the other way around. You know, he's just when he steps. I mean, there's something imposing. And the scene that sticks out is when he steps out of the steam shower. And, he's there, <laughs> you know, they, and he just comes out. and You're like, he is the man. And the beast, the beast plays. The beast plays out exactly like you kind of expect. Yeah. He grabs that slab off that cow as he walks by. It's just beautifully done to portray it. Uh, if anything, they don't push the beast out enough to show how brutal he is. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you can tell that they're grooming. I think one of the reasons I like the shower scene is the fact that they're, you get a real clear sense that Baron is grooming him to really take over. Right. How many showers have you taken with someone flying around you just laughing? When I- <laughs> the fact that you go back afterwards, you think about the fact that he was doing this as he was in the shower, it's just a bit creepy. Yeah. Just a bit creepy that this is his, uh, what, nephew, I guess? Yeah. I yeah. But. <laughs> I would have liked to have seen added in, would have been uh, Thufer, the act of killing himself. Because they built up the whole fact that he was, like, working for the Harkonnens. They show him in the last scene, but there's no, like, self-sacrifice at the at the foot of Paul. Is there any reason he was working for the Harkonnens? It wasn't used at all in the film. No, it wasn't. Just that he was poisoned, yeah. yeah. But that didn't come into play at all. They could have killed him off when they attacked the castle and you yeah. wouldn't have missed him. That's You wouldn't have missed him in there because his storyline is just not developed. He's kind of just thrown in as... An actor that's there. What did he have to do with that cat? To milk the cat that for some reason had a rat attached to it. <laughs> why, why was there a rat? I leaned over to roll and I said, why, why was there a rat on the cat? 
What's the deal with the dog? Yeah. yeah. Oh. That was the deal. I mean, I haven't read the book, so I don't. I there's a lot I'm just not understanding. But what was the deal with the dog that that at the end they they rescued the dog and he, the dog's in his jacket as he's getting ready to attack. It's I and then the, nothing about the dog after that. The dog is not in the book. Yeah. Oh. Wait, it does. I guess it provides a, what a you could argue it provides some sort of continuity of bookending the book, uh, the movie. You know, from the beginning to the end, um, and the fact that the dog kind of disappears while the while the the Baron's kind of in charge when the when the when the Atreides come back on the dog's there. Maybe it's kind of s- supposed to act as a symbol, although um, I don't know. I would love a picture of, of Gurney Halleck holding the dog, yelling "Charge!" That was like, <laughs> that was one of the best things. He's like, and then the camera moved; it almost looked like he had a sack that the dog was sitting like a baby in front of him. Yeah. I was like, "Oh man, that's perfect for that dog." Uh, I mean, I, I thought in general having dogs there kind of emphasized the humanity of the people, something that you don't really see in any other iteration of it. Yeah, but. Like dog, you're a good person. Yeah. Well, the emperor had like twenty of them or whatever, walking across the throne. Oh, they were walking across the throne. They, he was not petting them or emotionally involved with them. That's this true. Dog came with them to doom, and he was being saved. <laughs> and, you know, so. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, I liked the Golden Throne. I thought it was, I liked the lions. I thought it was represented well. I mean, the whole room was gold, which is a little bit much, but just the fact that just the scene with the, thro- the, the lions next to the throne, I thought that was a, that was a great scene, um, or a set design. I like when they bring the navigator in. Yeah. That's yeah. just, that's just, that's one of my, one of my favorite parts of this movie is big, long, it looks like this big, long train car, you know, <laughs> covered in black, and they walk in, I mean, it's moving by itself, and then the guards are standing, and they just look at, it and the doors open. The creature flights, you know, floats forward. And even though it's not quite the way I imagine it and envision it in the book, um, it still comes off as quite imposing. And I mean, clearly, the emperor is—they're they're speaking as equals here, which is something that's clear in the book as well. That these are not—that he's very much. This is not a—he's—he's um, he's the emperor, but he's not like supreme emperor ruling the world, you know, without any sort of checks and balances, because right. there is. Um, we don't we don't get the um, uh, what's the banking guild called here? Well, there's the, there's the the chome. We don't chome. get we we don't get we don't get chome in here at all, really. They have well, they enough it. to have a symbol. Yeah, they mentioned it. But they they mentioned it, but it's yeah, it's just not. It's just very when it's really underdeveloped in Dune too. You get a little bit more of that later on, but uh, there there are all these checks and balances, and it's clear in that scene that there's these checks and balances, and that the guild is calling the emperor onto account. Not only once at the beginning, but then twice later on when he mm-hmm. says, you know, what are you doing? What are you, you know, you made a mistake by putting the beast in charge of Arrakis. Right. Surprisingly, uh, no, um, what's his face? Emperor's dude. Yeah, Fenric. Uh, no Fenric, yeah. Um, I get, he plays such a minor part when it comes to the Book of Dune himself. That's true. He's That's much, true. I mean, maybe, maybe in the sequels to Dune and certainly in the prequels, he's a major part, but you don't see him at all, hardly in Dune. He plays, I mean, he's kind of in the crowd there at the end. And who knows, maybe he was a named character in the crowd. We used to know because he didn't have any dialogue. Yeah. 
Well, just like just like Thufir, they're building up a story that doesn't pay off. Irulan built up to do nothing. Yeah, I was, yeah. I, you know, they should have at least uh, proposed a marriage, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, she worked well as a as a narrator, and she's pretty, so. Whatever. Pretty narrator, you can't go wrong, right? Yeah. <laughs> <I guess>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Any other thoughts on the movie of what you liked or disliked? Do you guys think that the success of Star Wars played a role in when developing this film? Man, I, I can't see how it would. Yeah. I can't would. see how it would either. I think that this. Well, the, the guild, you were talking about the Guild Navigator, but in the Book of Dune. They don't mention the spice tanks at all in the original Doom. I mean, obviously it's there in the other books, but right. Um, Do we even see a navigator in the original Doom? We see two representatives. I yeah, think that's it. Yeah, it's but we never see an actual Eagles. navigator. Yeah. yeah. So I didn't know. I when I looked at that that navigator, I thought of Jabba the Hutt. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I thought of. I mean, you, you certainly can draw the comparisons because you have what Tatooine and you know as being a very desert planet and Java yeah. being yeah. there. You certainly could draw some parallels. Uh, when I watched it, I did not connect it in that way, and maybe because I separate those universes. But I could see them saying, "Well, you know, a desert planet worked in Star Wars. We can do a desert planet here. It's not going to be a big deal to to put a movie together with that, and let's throw Java in a little tank swimming." <laughs> so, and there was two moons instead of two suns. That he right. looked out at, just like uh, Luke looks out at the two sons <laughs> yeah. on yeah. Tatooine. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, even in later books, that's not how I imagine the Navigator at all. Yeah. This doesn't, doesn't fit for me. But any other thoughts on, on the film? Well, I'm someone who didn't read the books. <laughs> okay. Um, don't beat me up or anything. No. But, well, later. I, well, I actually read, a, I remember, I started uh, Dune and read a couple chapters. I think got, I got to the part where, you know, he was first tested and whatnot. So I, had an idea of what was going on, and I, all I know is, you know, the spice must flow, so, but, and I actually really, I like the movie, I mean, you have to take into account, you know, it was the 80s, so you kind of got to look past all that, like you do with any movie from right. that time, yeah. but uh, I think, they basically just crammed way too much in, I know it's been said, but it's just, there's a lot of stuff that they kind of gloss over, and it, there's just not enough time, without making it something like a trilogy, to flesh everything out. Yeah. But I still was able to enjoy it just because of the world and, you know, the society and the, like, they really made the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And I was able to enjoy it. Like, even just the first half, it's kind of, even if you look past all the, what would be considered weird stuff, you know, like his mom and him being tested and everything like that. And I almost saw it as, it's almost like a political thing between the houses and whatnot. And I was able to enjoy it for that aspect just because aesthetically they did such a good job in creating you know, the world that they live in. So I actually, I enjoyed it. Good. You should read the books because it is very political, <laughs> extremely political, especially in the first book. And, and and along the political lines, we really didn't touch on this, but one of the th- things that the movie does well is it, it's almost like he, Paul's coming back to the center city there to kind of knock out, you know, the Baron. It's almost like there's a little bit of revenge going on. Like he's avenging his father's death. And they don't necessarily play that up a lot, but there's enough where he's kind of talking to his father out there in the nether or whatever. Yeah. And uh, that he's clearly, his steps that he's, he's clearly keeping his father in mind as he's moving forward with the intent to kick out the Baron. And there's obviously, you know, 
even the end when he calls Fade when he calls Fade Routh out, they're still hearkening, still here. It seems very clear that he's doing that not just to get rid of the Harkin, it's because there's what what has been done to the Duke. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or it seems clear to me at least. And that seems certainly so the political line certainly is something that holds up, I think, fairly well in this movie. And especially since they explore the, the side of the Emperor being the Emperor and not really having complete control. Like the the trading the spacing guild who control travel really held that over him. Yeah. At one point they even call him out. They're like, No, you're gonna do this. Like, go and fix it yourself. Like, this yeah. is, you, you know, we're telling you to do this. Yeah. I think that's why I was still able to kind of enjoy the movie. Because halfway through, I guess, it kind of gets a little bit crazy. And the <laughs> the flow of it is kind of, you know, there's just a two-year time skip. And, like, Paul meets his, you know, wife-to-be. And literally, like, one and a half minutes later, he's like, I love you. And it's like, you know, what really happened. But because of those <laughs> kind of undertones, the whole political thing, and like you were talking about, I think... There was still enough to follow throughout the movie that you could enjoy it, I feel. Yeah, yeah. I would agree. I mean, do you mind me asking, so you got up to the place in the book where he gets tested. Was I think it, what, so, yeah. What about, uh, what about the book made you say, you know what, I'm not going to finish this out? Uh, it wasn't as much, well, I was in college and whatnot, so it wasn't as much like the book turned me off or anything. It was just, I'm not like a big reader. I wish I was, but right. I, so I, you know, I have to, for me, I guess one thing is like, when I read a book, I have to... It takes me a while to get into it, but then when I get into it, I just kind of, you know, go on a binge and finish it really fast within a day mm-hmm. or two. And it took a while, like... And the movie did this, too. It's, it takes such a long time to kind of even set the society and the scene and the atmosphere that I couldn't just... I didn't get addicted to it enough, basically, yeah. because the plot hadn't evolved enough, I guess. Well, plus Frank Herbert has a very formal style of writing that yeah, just that comes too. up, and it doesn't... Especially for the modern reader... Unless you stick yeah. with them, with yeah. it, it's really hard that to say. A, that was a real big thing yeah. too. Like, it, uh, it's not bad. It's just, it's just. It, I mean, that's Frank Herbert. This nineteen sixty-five. We're talking about when this book came out, right? And it, yeah. it throws a lot at you. Like even just trying to remember who's who with the names and whatnot. And it's like, yeah. I, just even that. Obviously, in a movie, it's a lot easier because you have a face to go with it. So yeah. you know, you might not know his name, but you know, it's that guy. You know? Right. Right. So, do you, now I know it's been a while, but did you have any issue with um, the fact that? the surprise in the book was kind of given away at the beginning that they kind of start talking about the future at the very beginning of the book do you remember that at all how do you like the fact that they were going to assassinate yeah like you know oh oh. um i guess well you were you were mentioning it how that's not something they would really do in a movie today so i kind of looked at it as it didn't really are you saying that's not how they did in the book? No, in the, in the book, they, they they basically come out and tell you Duke's going to get betrayed. Right. And they basically say right from the beginning, Paul will eventually be the Messiah. Yeah, I think it just makes me shift my attention immediately to Paul. So it didn't really... It didn't hurt, it didn't hurt the book No, because it's basically like, for me, when I see that, it's kind of like, okay, well, obviously, you know, Duke's a cool character, but it's not going to be about him. Right. That's, I guess that's all that I really got out of that. So. And it is a good point that we didn't even talk about that the focus of the assassination of the Duke, even though you kind of are saying, well, how's this going to unveil? How, you know, I'm still interested, even though you kind of spoiled this for me. Uh, it does shift to focus, like, well, who do I really care about in this novel? Yeah, and obviously right. it's going to be Paul, and, and therefore you invest a little bit more of your energy and thought and keeping track of what's going on with Paul. And the Duke is kind of circumvented a little bit. And really the focus is Paul as you get through the plot. So. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, going back to what Roland said about, uh, or was it you? Somebody said something mentioned about this came after Star Wars. We were talking about yeah. would it be? Would it be? I wonder how interesting it's going to be when we watch Jodorowsky's Dune because I think he tried to do that. Was it pre-Star Wars? I forget the year. It was about the same time. If you yeah. Know. Yeah, what year did Star Wars come out? 77. Yeah. 77, yeah. okay. So I know Jodorowsky's in, in the 70s at some point. Yeah. So that'll be interesting to see his vision, how it com- compares to a even more, e- either before Star Wars or very much like right in the hype of it, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. So. Yeah. Cool. Anything else? No. I feel I have to add, Frank Herbert did like the film, right? This film, you know, I've read that. I, 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 I want to say that he, you know, if he didn't, uh, who were you talking to? Harlan Ellison at least liked the film, and if that says anything for <laughs> his critical view of sci-fi, you know, um, I haven't. I forget if um, I, I didn't. I actually I didn't read anything about that, but yeah. I haven't read everything that Frank Herbert wrote either. So we'll probably have that research done for the main episode. Yeah, when we tackle it, and that's a good question and one that I'm certainly going to look at. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's um, it's an interesting movie. It's an interesting look into the past, to what sci-fi was, and I know that Lynch took his name off of the television version because he didn't like the cut or something like that. So he didn't want his name associated or attached to the to the film version. I had thought that he disconnected it completely from the film. But it was just the television version. So, yeah. Great. Well, thanks everyone for joining us. Uh, our next special event is Jodorowsky's Dune on Wednesday, the 18th, at Zotropolis Art House. So, I know some of you will be there. So, we hope to see more people there as well. Yeah, we'll be doing something similar just to kind of talk about the movie then. Yeah. So, once again, for the Dune Saga podcast, I'm David Moulton. And I am Scott Hertzog. And may Shai Halud clear the path before you. Yeah.